Hello there, and welcome to episode 8 of the Stick to Syracuse podcast. My name is Brent Dax. So great to have you here. Are you ready for baseball? There's a little more buzz on the north side these days as the Syracuse Chiefs are now the Syracuse Mets, and a certain player named Tebow has come to town. We'll talk to Syracuse Mets general manager Jason Smorl about that and what else to expect in the upcoming 2019 season. We'll also hear today on the sound scene from one of my favorite local bands, the Old Main. Kathleen Mason sits down with Seth and Nash to talk about how the band came together, their latest sounds, and so much more. Hope you can check that out. Hey, how'd you find the Stick to Syracuse podcast today? Did you come through on the link on Syracuse.com or on social media? Both terrific ways to find the podcast, but let me remind you that you can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Spotify. Just hit that subscribe button and a new episode will find its way to wherever you listen to your podcasts. Let's get it going with our five-tool player. Hey, Just Joe, hit that theme song. Behind SU Sports, snowstorm weather we pose. State Syracuse today. Soft potatoes, high-top dogs, dynasty barbecue all year long. State Syracuse today. It's raining, it's snowing, it don't know where it's going. Stick to Syracuse today. Ladies and gentlemen, your host of Stick to Syracuse, Brett X. Baseball fans look forward to opening day every year. The sights, the sounds, the smells. It's renewed faith. Everyone's undefeated, and no one's more hopeful than on that very day. Those are the things that are similar about opening day. But opening day brings on something different every year. And it can be argued this is one of the most anticipated opening days in the history of Syracuse professional baseball. After all, the Syracuse Chiefs are now the Syracuse Mets. And some guy named Tim Tebow has come to town. Heard of him? Jason Smorrell hopes you bring the kiddies, bring the wife, and many more over to the north side to watch a baseball game or two, or three perhaps, this spring and summer. We talked to the Syracuse Mets general manager about what to expect with Tim Tebow, the Mets this season, and what he anticipates in year six as general manager. So what's new around this place, Jason? Anything going on? Or? It is. I mean, this is kind of feels like the first year. Uh, so this is now our sixth year. And, you know, the first year, you know, it was just crazy. We had everybody was, we were all brand new. I hadn't worked at baseball in 10 years. And we had six months to go till opening day. And, you know, that was a crazy year. Uh, and now this year, everything was gone. You know, when the Nationals left, they took all their stuff. And we've done all this work, and now we're here. We had a, you know, a, a major event at the Dome. We've got another, we have two major events that we're doing before opening day, and we're putting all new stuff in. And it's just hectic and crazy. So it feels like that that first year again. It's uh, it's uh, it's an interesting opening day this year. Everyone's different, and, and we'll we'll never forget this one either. It's very interesting, and you brought up that uh, event at the Carrier Dome. And look, Noah Syndergaard said what he said. 
But when he arrived in Syracuse and grabbed that flag and ran on the carrier dome and kind of got in the spirit of the thing. Like, all was forgiven. All was forgiven. <laughs> all was well. I mean, that was, at, no matter what anybody said, when that announcement came out, I said, come on, how unique is that? To play baseball, whatever form it is, in the carrier dome with a Major League Baseball team. I actually, I talked to Gary Apple, who does pre and post game on SNY. And I said, Gary, when you were at Syracuse, did you ever imagine you'd be interviewing Noah Syndergaard on the field at the carrier dome? Right. For something like that to happen, and it seemed like everything went and that as well was, as could be. It was fantastic, uh, and that was a, a lot of the time. I was talking to the fans in the stands, and I was like, hey, how you doing? And they're like, I'm watching the New York Mets in the Carrier Dome. Everything's awesome. Uh, so I just, uh, that was a day we're never going to forget. I mean, the, it was a, it, the Dome felt so alive. I mean, yeah, there was 5,000 people there, but it felt like there was 10,000 people there. Uh, uh, the players were just so into it and so cool. Uh, and Syndergaard grabs the flag and he's running around. Uh, people were keeping their kids out of school. People were coming from all over the state uh, to go to this thing. Um, it was an amazing, you know. And then the, the fun of of staying up all night to setting up the dome and getting to work with the dome people. Pete Sell and those guys were fantastic. Um, we were joking because I mean we put a mound and. And, a, and two batting cages. And we're like, this is probably one of the more major events that you've ever set up here. The dome. He's like, yeah, it's like literally the easiest thing we've ever done. <laughs> but uh, but it was a great day, and and it turned out. And I think you listened to Mickey Callaway you know, with the with the what happened on the plane, and I just said it was good for the team. You know, that kind of bonded the team together, and they went to Syracuse, and they had that time on the plane, and they went and they won opening day with Jacob Degrom, who got his new contract. You know, and wouldn't it be interesting if the New York Mets uh, win the the National League East, win the World Series, and we can attribute it all to their trip to Syracuse, New York, uh, all all the way back two days before opening day. All started in the carrier dome. (laughs) Jason, that's it. I have wondered for years what it would be like if either the Yankees or the Mets were the affiliate here. Of course, the Yankees were before, but that's before my time. Okay, And, And I've heard stories about it, and there's a lot of Yankee fans in this town because of that. So here come the New York Mets, and I've always been curious about that aspect of to have that team so close, and you can go right up the, the pipeline from Brooklyn to Binghamton to Syracuse. I know they're very uh, happy and excited to be so close geographically, but what are you finding out about the Mets' effect? We saw a good slice of it in the Carrier Dome, but what else are you finding out about the presence of the Mets in this town and what you hope carries over to this season? It's significant. It is. It's bigger than I thought it was going to be. I mean, I did not expect it to be as big as it was. And, and you know, Mr. Wilpon and the rest of the, the Mets people said, you know, we think there's really going to be a great Mets effect. And I was like, well, you know, I hope so. And I definitely knew that there was going to be something, but I didn't know it was going to be this significant. I mean, you can see from our open house, we normally get two or 300 people. We said, you know what, maybe we're going to get 500 people here. So we plowed some extra stuff in the parking lot. You know, we had close to 1,000 people. You know, uh, this event was a Tuesday afternoon from noon until two and 5,000 people showed up. Uh, We sold out of the Meet the Syracuse Mets dinner in like three days. Uh, You know, our opening day tickets, we've sold more opening day tickets than ever before. You know, and this was like a week. This this is counting opening day tickets up to the day before opening day. A week and a half before, we had sold more tickets than we've ever had sold uh, for an opening day. Uh, merchandise sales are, you know, exceeding the salt potatoes merchandise sales. So 
we were selling tickets to Watertown, um, season tickets to a guy in Governor. I was like, really, dude? You're going to come from Governor? He's like, yep. And there's a guy that had, I feel sorry for the Binghamton Rumble Ponies because we stole a season ticket holder from him from Sandy Creek. And he's like, you, I, say, I just saved you an hour and a half drive. He's like, no, you saved me three hours because i got to drive both ways. <laughs> That's right. So it is, you know, the seven-line army is going to come to a day. They're, they said we're going to at least bring 750 people. Maybe we bring a thousand. So you know, there's a day that 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 maybe a thousand more Mets fans come. That's a significant uh, number. So it far exceeds uh, what I had had hoped for or, or thought about. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, how the rest of the season goes through. So you've got all this going on: the Carrier Dome event, the dinner to get ready, all these other events and things. Now let's add Tim Tebow to the mix. <laughs> Good, I mean, it's right? just just pile on here. But I think you those know, are good problems. To these have. are all these great are problems. good problems. These are good problems. We could have such problems. problems. That's it. That's it. If the list keeps growing longer, and they're all good problems. Yeah, right. It's it's interesting to see. But you, you know, Jason. Well, just, maybe we'll have a horrible problem. Like we're going to win. <laughs> Take that too, right? Yeah. What's it like getting ready for Tebow coming to town? I mean, look, we've seen it in the past five, six years. Strasburg came through. Harper was here for like a you know five minutes before he got called up, but. Tebow's just not a big baseball prospect. He's a phenomenon. He's he's pop culture. He's, he's everything a wrapped global in one. celebrity. He's an international superstar, uh, and he's great to work with. So I don't know. I, mean, I don't know. I, I think that we're going to be able to handle it. We'll find out <laughs> in a couple of days. But I think I've been talking to his people. We've talked to St. Lucie and Columbia and Binghamton and and the Mets and and they've been able. They've seen it come through. So. There are some some guidelines in place, um, and it, it really comes. I mean, we were at spring training, and uh, Travis Darno hit a home run, and there was great cheers. Tim Tebow got a walk and got like a standing ovation. <laughs> and so the place is packed. Everyone just loves him. So uh, it's a good problem to have, and we have to remember we're just doing it because we've had celebrities and stars here before maybe not obviously not to the caliber of tim tebow but his job is to be play baseball you know and our job is to make sure that he has the opportunity to play baseball so we're the host and it doesn't matter if it's tim tebow or joe smith we're going to make sure that the, the, the baseball people and the baseball job is able to get done uh and working with tim and his people you know he's very disciplined, so he's like, "Listen, this is the way we got to do it." Because I, you know, I, I'm very careful about my diet. I'm very dedicated to my baseball, and I'm de- dedicated to my charity, and my beliefs, and all that stuff. So he finds time for that, and he just manages his time very well. So there's not a lot of wiggle room with him. He is very disciplined, and he is very specific. He's like, "I've got to do this. I want to make time for the media. I want to make time for my charities, my foundation." And I need to make time, and I, I need to make time for my diet, and I need to make time for my baseball. So, we're just going to help him get through all that stuff. How is he as a baseball player? I think he's amazing. I mean, from what I you know, what do I know? But I know this: the guy didn't play baseball for a decade. He's in his third year in professional baseball. He's in AAA. In his second year, he hit 280 in AA and was an all-star. There's guys in two, in, that have been playing baseball all their life. They don't hit 280 in AA. If you can hit 280 in AA, you're you're one of the greatest baseball players in the history of the world. He hit 260, 270 at spring training. Uh, I, I watched him hit. He guy can hit. Uh, you know he's probably in the best shape of anybody in the Mets organization. 
he's going to come to AAA, and we're going to find out. I mean, there's not, I don't think there's that much difference between AAA and AA. So if he hit 280 down there, if he can hit 280 here, the pitching's probably a little bit better. But he's been through Binghamton already, so he's been, in, you know, he's played in April and May in Binghamton. So uh, I, I think he is an uncanny athlete to be able to do what he's doing to compete on or near or above the same level as guys that have never taken a break from baseball to be able to accomplish what he's accomplishing. I think I don't think it's it's unbelievable. You had the unique opportunity last year to get a head start a little bit because the Nationals were your affiliate, but the Mets owned the team, and it was kind of a unique partnership. So you've worked with the Mets ahead of time. What did that do to prepare you for everything you want to do now that the affiliation is is complete and you are true partners? Just kind of get used to the process. You know how the Mets like things done. You know they're they're the bosses, they're the owners. So everybody instead of having a board of directors like the old community baseball club. You know now we answer to the to the bosses at uh, at the New York Mets. So, just having that year to get you know, the financial processes straight, uh, the human resources processes straight, the way they just like to do things, the public relations way, uh, how they like to communicate. Um, it's just given us a little bit of time just to get used to the way things are done. What's new at the ballpark? What are noticeable things people can can see, can eat, can can experience when they come here to the ballpark in 2019? Well, we've made a lot of subtle changes. So uh, obviously, you're going to see a lot more blue and orange. <laughs> I can attest to this. We're this. doing this in Jason's <laughs> office at the ballpark. They, the, the smell of fresh paint is. This, in the there's air, a lot of fresh sure. paint. Yeah. So uh, so the look is going to slowly start changing. Our general, you know, our general business model isn't changing so you know the the Mets liked what we did uh they saw that it was been being successful uh so they know the difference between major league and minor league you know with you know Brooklyn does zany stuff and 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 so they they get the minor leagues so our general stuff doesn't change the days of the week are still there we did some slight modifications so you know Wednesdays are now winging it Wednesdays with 50 cent chicken wings Excuse me. The uh, Thursdays, which our problem with dollar Thursdays is, it's hard to service people when stuff's a dollar. When people are coming up and asking for twenty hot dogs at a time, it slows things down. So we're adding beer locations uh, with cans so it can be faster, uh, and we're adding hot dog locations, and we're we're limiting it to four hot dogs per person per transaction. Which is a reasonable amount of hot dogs. I would think so. <laughs> <laughs> now, if it's slow and the guy wants five or six hot dogs, we'll give it to him. But if there's a big line, four hot dogs, let's move this stuff through. Um, uh, Kids Eat Free Sunday is still there. It's a great deal. I mean, nobody does what we do, if you think about it. With our 22 fireworks and our 24 giveaways, and we have food discounts six of the seven days of the week. And kids eat free on Sundays. It's, who does that? Nobody does that. Uh, but we used to have little vouchers, and you said, you know, in the first inning you could get a popcorn and a drink, and the third inning you could get a hot dog and a drink, and the sixth inning you get ice cream, and all it did was create humongous lines in the first, third, and sixth innings. So we just, you guys got your stuff. You want your ice cream in the first inning? Go get your ice cream first. So just we're just always trying to, to tweak stuff to give better customer service. So it's the Mets, but the Salt Potatoes lives. Salt That's Potatoes be lives. Back. You've added the butter sculpture. Butter sculpture this year, just that that local vibe because that's one thing. And I admittedly 
questioned it a little bit, saying, okay, well, the Mets kind of put you in, in a box. Mm-hmm. So you got to appeal to local. You got to appeal to what worked. And that salt potatoes thing worked. So the butter sculptures and some of the other things you mentioned kind of say, hey, yeah, we're the Mets and we're under that umbrella. But this is still a team that lives and breathes here in central New York. And I think that's that's the big thing that a lot of people were nervous about with the Mets coming in. And, and they don't need to be nervous about it. The Mets want to be here. The Mets are committed to this community, and they get that we're the Syracuse Mets. Uh, so they love the salt potatoes, and uh, you know, we you know things like the butter sculptures. You know, you got to bring it up the flagpole, and and then you talk about it. Like it's a partnership with the New York State Fair, and we've been doing this with the salt potatoes. I mean, even last year, we you know we had to go through the process. That's part of the process. We were the Brannock devices last year, and the prior to the process, like why would you want to turn yourself into the what is a Brannock device, and why would you turn a team into that and then you explain it to them and you put together a little you know, pro forma plan and we're not going to lose any money if we do it and it's fun it's a local connection they say great sounds like a good idea you know if we're doing something stupid that we're going to lose money for they'll be like hey Jason that's a dumb idea and you should probably not do that that sounds like a horrible idea so uh, so they get it they love it uh, being able to do the butter sculptures and I think that's going to be another great one, you know, having the, a partner with the fair behind you and, and obviously with the New York State and all the New York State products that we, we do here with Taste New York. It's just people just like that stuff. And we have the ability to do it and it's fun to do it. Uh, and the fans love it. So we're going to keep doing it. Jason, final question for you. You know, look, you go back to the days of the Auburn double days. We used to talk all the time when you did that. Got out of baseball for a while, mm-hmm. came back. I think you even said it earlier. It was year six. Yeah. Right? So in the second go-around, what have you learned from day one six years ago to here on the brink of another season beginning? <sighs> I guess, uh, you know, it's it's just kind of that cycle. You just learn what works and what doesn't work or, you know, the ideas that you thought were going to work. I mean, kind of getting used to long season. I mean, you know. Texas Simone, you know, when I, the day I came in, he goes, kid, you got to get through April and May. You know, I was a short season guy. We started baseball in June. There's no such thing as inclement weather. Uh, and I think I've just learned to yeah, just kind of work with people differently. And, you know, there's not much difference between the game doesn't really change much. Uh, and my approach doesn't change much because we kind of brought that old Auburn double days thing. I wanted to bring that feel to here. I wanted to bring the minor leagues back to the Syracuse Chiefs at the time and just be fun and 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 be for the fans and make stuff affordable. Uh, so I, I'm not that bright. I don't know that I've learned anything. <laughs> I'm just still a moron, and we just try to do fun stuff, and if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, we chalk it up, and we say, oh, let's not do that anymore. Jason, thanks so much for the time. Play ball. All right. Thanks, X-Man. Hey, what do you say? Have a happy day because we're living in Syracuse. Hailing from the foothills of the Adirondack Mountains, the Old Main has drawn favorable comparisons to such bands as The Band and Dawes. Call them folk rock, Adirondack folk, alt-Americana, and all sorts of other things. 
Regardless of the adjective, they have developed a voice of their own through high-energy live performances and the raw acoustic sound created through their use of acoustic guitar, mandolin, banjo, upright bass, drums, and ringing vocal harmonies. Kathleen Mason sits down with Seth Becker and Nash Rob. Hello. 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 <laughs> awesome. Didn't know I could do that, did you? So tell tell me how you met, how it got started. I love the name. I want to know about the name. So just okay. go right ahead. I'll I'll take how we met because you got the name. Okay. Okay. Right. How me and Nash met was in high school. Uh, I had this like really terrible indie rock band <laughs> called uh, called uh, Urban Shoreline. Was which was fire? which was supposed to be, oh blue fire then yeah. urban shoreline wow. and urban shoreline was a play because we're in a rural area oh my and uh, uh, I met him at a Christmas party uh, through our drummer at the time and he Mitch. was friends uh, way before Mitch this was Casey Corgan who yep. was our drummer in this terrible indie band <laughs> it wasn't that bad but we were bad. all horrible and having fun yeah, exactly together. it was like, fun the whole so day you were cutting your musical team. yeah so i met him at yes. a christmas party and i knew he played guitar and then he joined that band then after that we had a band in college because i made him go to the college i was going to so he could still be in a band and brilliant we, yeah when we went to college for music started a band you. called the birdseed bandits and now that ended, and now we have this little thing. Threw the upright bass at me, pretty much. Yes. I bought an upright bass and just handed it to him, like, hey, learn the upright bass. Okay, the old main. Where did that come from? That's such a great name, and it's really perfect. Thank you. <laughs> I was hoping that would be the effect. Um, <laughs> I came up with it because I was, we had gone through... You should see the notebook of names. It was terrible. Well, that's yeah. what we're supposed to do. Um, we were just like trying to find something that was, you know, some most names are a bit, a bit vague. They're a reference, like an inside joke or something like that. But I wanted this to have like a regional tie to, um, to the Utica area where we were playing most of our shows. And um, uh, someone told me that the nickname for the main building of the Utica Psychiatric Center, the, the one that they just opened up for uh, tours now. Wow. Is, it was called the Old Main. So I'm like, yeah. boom. That's it. And it's just this old, like, gothic, beautiful building in the middle of wow. Utica. And it's just like, you got it, Nash. You got it. Yeah. It's, too bad you it's like when I was on the phone, I was just like, oh, yeah, like, that's so cool. Like, was, I drive by there all the time. It was like, <laughs> you it was need to stand in front of it. The Old yeah. Main. Actually, we did. Or was it the, I found out the name of one of the first people to try to build a bridge across the Mohawk was his name was Apollos Cooper. Yeah. And I was like, that's freaking cool. That's a cool it name too. Cool. But I'm glad um, we stuck with the old main. But yeah, actually our <laughs> right. first show as the old main was was at the old main. Yeah, we played they were, they opened it for one day for a tour and Mitch, our drummer, ran into the guy that put it on in like JC Penny or something. And he like just was like, Oh well that's cool jacket and then they started talking. He's like, Oh yeah, you know, we're doing this tour of the old main, you should come down. He's like, Well, it just so happens I'm in this <laughs> band called the well, Old Main. Uh, so we played like in like the back area of the old main as people were like walking out. What a great and it was like our second show. Idea. Yeah, <laughs> played to a thousand people. One at a time. One at a time. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes everything is beautiful in our eyes, but mine, oh, I will leave behind. Nothing to 
When I was really young, I kind of wanted to go as far away from like a rural feel as possible. And like my first band was a punk band, then like indie rock and all that stuff. But then like influence mostly from like my grandparents and my parents. Get yeah, you, they just get like <laughs> they're just like pounding like Bob Dylan and Led Zeppelin in my head and like, oh well I can't like escape that. Like why would I? So it's really just influence from all that. Like grew up on a farm splitting wood. It just kind of seeps into it. And, and Yeah, I, I grew up listening to uh, like Blue Moon Cafe Sunday mornings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just kind of steeped in John Prine and Traveling Wilburys and stuff like that, yep. and um, there was this understanding that I had. It was like a lot of power derived through storytelling. Yeah, and that's that's what like I try to get through in the stuff that I write and the stuff that we co-write. Yeah, and like if you can if you can put yourself into that song in any way, then that's going to affect you and I think that's what makes it makes that's what makes music nice for me yeah. and I think that that, that it's, it's easy to people. spot out in authenticity you're a bird and I'm strong and love doesn't know So what's coming up next? What what's the next big thing? Uh, probably the live album. Uh, there's the series that they do in Utica called the Saranac Thursdays, right. and yeah. it's like a big thing, and it's like a big hometown show for us. So we had we broke the attendance record for that year, and we're like, the next year we're like, okay, we should do a live album here because you know there's a ton of people here going crazy. We're going crazy. It's a nice stage. So we recorded last year's Saranac Thursday, and we're probably going to be releasing it hopefully in the next two months. Great. Like we're kind of just in the middle of like chopping all the fat and picking what songs we want to like have on the album, and mm-hmm. yeah, so that should be cool. out pretty soon, hopefully. <laughs> I don't want to put a specific date Fingers on it. Fingers crossed. Yeah, don't. We have a bad up. habit of like, oh yeah, it's coming out like June first, and then <laughs> like June like. 23rd is here and we're like oh that's not done like (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) which is like and Nash has like the opposite way that I write he is very methodical with his writing he'll take like three months like tweaking words and I'm like (laughs) if it doesn't come to me like while my hand is moving I just throw the song out And now, sounds from our next episode. When I came upon this land So much beauty overwhelmed me I put my life in your hands When the old place couldn't hold me anymore When they set me out to roam It was the first days of forgetting my way back to you I wonder sometimes Maybe you are the key Fish and blood after all William Nicholson and Sequoia Iman The Love Tones 
It's what you get when you combine a custom 11-string harp guitar player with an energetic, engaging performer who can jump genres from jazz and swing to folk rock and so much more. Audiences of all ages and tastes are awestruck by this combo. That's next week on the Stick to Syracuse podcast. We thank you for listening to Episode 8. Thank you to Jason Smorrell from the Syracuse Mets. Thanks to Nash and Seth from the Old Maine. I'm Brent Dax. Until next time, could someone grab me an autograph from Stu Peterson? If I were-